We're starting a new sermon series. Uh, We're going to journey through a book of the Bible in six weeks. And it's a book which calls us to recover the link between what we're saved from and what we're saved for. It's got some of the best-known and well-loved narratives and stories in the Bible. It's got a murderous ruler, an oppressed people, this one might be a giveaway, a baby in a makeshift boat, a bush that doesn't burn up, a series of terrible plagues, a nation walking through a dried-up sea, and a mountain that shakes. Exodus. So I'm sure we are all really quite familiar um, with a lot of stories in this book. Um, So we're going to be looking at it with a different perspective. Whenever we come to a book of the Bible, and I found this personally, we might read it, or we might have read it a thousand times. But because we're in a different place, personally, and what we're experiencing in our lives, God, I find, speaks to us through the books of the Bible in different ways at different times. So although you may be familiar with Exodus and these familiar stories, I'd like to challenge you to come at it afresh with a different perspective because you are going to be hearing these in a different way because you are different people to when you last read or heard these stories. So I think, I think David might have chosen this partly because it speaks of journey and of purpose, something which links very closely, I think, to our story at the moment as we journey together as we rely on God's faithfulness in the next season of our church's history. And it's a book full of movement. Nothing in God's kingdom stands still. God doesn't stand still. There is a perpetual movement between the Trinity, a constant flow, a divine dance, if you like, that we are all a part of. We are all a part of God's story, a story that ebbs and flows between different seasons and different times. And we are all here in this place at this time as part of God's story. So the book of Exodus is is pivotal in the telling and understanding of God's story. It's foundational in understanding his character of who he is. And we discover this through the characters and through, and through the stories. It's a place of liberation. And it's a place of his people finding their purpose in his story. So God brings his chosen people out of slavery in Egypt into service for himself, in order to display to the world his character and his glory. So we're going to have our reading, and then Paddy's going to share his thoughts with us. This morning's reading is taken from Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 to 17, you can find on page 59 of your Bibles. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There an angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within the bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, 
why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face, because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the land of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, Hivites and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent you, me to you. And God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. Go, assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, appeared to me and said, I have watched you over you and have seen what you have done to you in Egypt. And I have promised to bring you up out of the misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites and Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. It's good to be with you. I'm, I love the way that you welcome people in this place. And uh, we've always had a, a very warm welcome when we've arrived uh, occasionally. So thank you for being welcoming people. Um, I've entitled this, This Is My Name Forever, this uh, part of uh, the Bible. As we start this new series in this great book of Exodus, There are some great themes that stand out for me and I want to share those with you. For instance, God uh, says that he is a God who is there for us in difficulties. He's there for us in times of trauma. He's there for us when things are not going well and he invites us into a personal, intimate relationship with him. This chapter is the first time in the scripture that God reveals to his people his name. So this is really an important chapter. But before we go there, I just want to highlight another couple of themes here. Uh, The first is um, that God is a God who fulfills his promises. And the book of Exodus 
is one story after another of God fulfilling his promises. His people, through Abraham, have been blessed. And the rest of Exodus is an accurate history, a record of God keeping promise after promise as he guides them according to his perfect plan. Now that's important because one of the challenges of the Christian walk, the Christian faith, is our struggle to trust God, particularly in difficult times, to fulfill his promises to us. We read them in the scripture and we quite often say to ourselves, but that's not happening to me. Is that right? And uh, there are a few things that strengthen and sustain our faith, like seeing God's I will do it suddenly become he did it. And another great theme is that God is a covenant God. And Exodus journeys towards the great covenant at Sinai, the giving of the Ten Commandments, as uh, an indication as to how people were to follow God, to serve him. So, who is this God that we are called to serve? In the video earlier, we noticed that the Israelites had been in Egypt for 400 years, and 200 years, at least, of those 400 they had become slaves. And the new pharaoh, who was the nasty man, uh, decreed that all Israelite boys should be killed. But one Israelite boy, whose name was Moses, was uh, found by Pharaoh's daughter, rescued, and grew up in the court as a young Egyptian prince. And then as a young man, grappling with the knowledge that he knew he was one of the Israelites, one of these slave people, and yet he was living as a prince, noticed a fight between an Israeli and an Egyptian. And Moses killed the Egyptian. And he then was forced to flee to Midian, to the desert. And it was in that desert that he saw this bush that was burning but it wasn't consumed. And out of this bush, God speaks. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob. Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. And then the Lord said, I have seen the affliction of my people. I've heard their cry because of their slave masters. I know their sufferings. I've come to deliver them, and you, Moses, are going to do it. And Moses' initial response is to back away from such an awesome task, as I did when God called me to ministry, and as you might well do when God calls you to do a task. Moses said to God, Who am I that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And he gave him some other assurances as well. And then Moses brings us to the most important things God ever said about himself. Moses says to God, if I go to my people and say, God has sent me, and they they say, (laughs) so who is this God? What am I to say? And God said to Moses, I am who I am, sent me to you. God said to Moses, say to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And God also said, say this to them, the Lord, 
the God of your fathers, of Abraham, of Isaac and Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And this is how I am to be remembered through all generations. Now this tells us three things. First, he said to Moses, I am who I am. He didn't say that was his name. He's saying, before you worry about me and how I compare to the gods of Egypt and Philistia and Babylon, understand this, I am a living being. Religion has always busied itself with do's and don'ts, a system of belief. It's, it's out there somewhere. It's not personal in any way. And here God is saying, before you get stuck into the mechanics of a religion, understand that I am a supreme being. And beings are relational. Knowing me is to be relational. And that is a truth that permeates throughout Scripture. Secondly, God says to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. He still hasn't given Moses his name. He simply put the statement of his being in place of a name. The one who is, who from eternity is there. Some of you may have grown up with uh, the theologian Francis Schaeffer, who wrote a book, The God Who Is There, which is how he translates the Hebrew, I am. And then thirdly, God says to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, and Lord is Y-H-W-H. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever. So finally, God gives us his name. And in your Bibles, it will always be, or nearly always be translated as a capital L-O-R-D, Lord. It's the first time that appears in our scriptures. And it comes from the Hebrew phrase, I am. And probably would have sounded something like this, Yahweh. We have anglicized it uh, as Jehovah, which certainly wouldn't have been the way it was translated or, 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 say, or spoken. But uh, I say probably because there are no vowels in the Hebrew language. So all you get are the consonants. So Y-H-W-H is how it appears. And uh, the, the Jews were so frightened of breaking the third commandment, you shall not take the Lord your God's name in vain, that they never spoke the word of Y-H-W-H. So we never know how it was pronounced. I am who I am. In Hebrew, Aya Asha Aya. Aya is the first person singular. That's what you would say if you would say, I am walking down the road. But to use I am on its own as a standalone description is an ultimate statement of self-sufficiency, self-existence. God's existence is not dependent on anyone or anything else. He is the eternal Constant God, ever-present and unchangeable. This amazing name for God, used over 4,000 times in the Old Testament, and very different from the word that man gave God, which was El, as in Emmanuel, God with us, or Daniel, or Samuel, and all those other names with God's name in it, or more commonly Elohim, 
which is the plural of, of El, which comes in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, which tells us, although the Trinity hasn't been uh, fully developed at this stage, that God actually is more than one. Uh, I haven't got time to go into that, but another time maybe. Um, but the central sound of YHWH is the two H's. <sighs> which immediately should bring some, all sorts of connotations to you about God, because God breathes life into his creation. When you get into the book of Ezekiel, there's a bunch of bones there, and God breathes over them, and they come to life. And Jesus, at the end of his ministry, when he's gathering there with his disciples, he breathes on them the life of God, the life of God's Spirit on them. Now, Abraham was not always Abraham, and Sarah was not always Sarah. They were Abram and Sarai. So, what happened? Well, YHWH, the Lord, is the covenant name of God. And the covenant name is a very relational name that always has a promise attached to it, describing something about God's character. And this starts in the book of Exodus and goes through the, the scriptures from there. And one major covenant that appears in Genesis, which changes everything, is known as the blood covenant. And it leads all the way to Jesus shedding his blood for us on the cross. It's a covenant that actually forms the basis of our wedding ceremony today. So I want to go through it very quickly with you. If you were making a blood covenant with another human being, you would, uh, first of all, you would take off your coat and you would lay it at the other person's foot and they would do the same thing. And that action symbolized everything that you are. And in the wedding ceremony, the bride and groom say to each other, all that I am, I give to you, Right? And in Genesis 15, God says to Abraham, I am your exceeding great reward. Everything that I am, I give to you. And then they would take off their belt and they would lay down their shield and the belt and the shield symbolized all that they have, everything that they used in life that was important, everything that they could use to defend one another. And by doing that, they would say, all that I have, I give to you. And God says to Abraham, all that you can see with your naked eye, Abraham, is what I'm going to give to you. I'm going to give you this land. And then, having sacrificed a heifer or a bullock or something like that in Genesis 15, they then do a circle of eight, which is a symbol of eternity. Because this is a covenant that is going to last forever. And then they would make a slit at the base of the palm of their hands uh, and they would allow the blood to trickle down into their palms and then they would shake hands. And theologians believe that is the origin of the handshake. Indeed, in, uh, in uh, Uganda today, the word for friend is jirima, which means friend of the blood. And when Jesus was crucified, he was pierced not here, as classical paintings often show, but here, between the ulna and the radius in your hand, because that is the only place that would hold the, the weight of a human body. 
And he is saying on the cross, I am your friend. I am in a blood covenant with you. And this is the proof that I am your friend. Incidentally, if you were attacked by somebody and you were in a blood covenant with somebody, you would immediately show your thing like that. And they see the scar on your wrist and they would think twice about attacking you because they didn't know how big your blood brother was. Now, we know that Abraham means the father of, uh, a father of nations. But to get to that name, God added that sound of breath. So, Abraham becomes Abraham, right? And Sarai becomes Sarah. And God gives us his name. Because the other thing that happens in a blood covenant is that you swap names. At a wedding ceremony, you either swap names or you take on the other's name. The bride takes on the groom's name or they swap names and it becomes a double-barreled name, right? And God gives Abraham and Sarah his name. And from that moment onwards, God is known, you won't find it before Genesis 15, God is known as the God of Abraham. And then when he had children, he's the God of Abraham and Isaac. And then the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, God has taken on their names and they have taken on his name. The breath of God was on them. So it's not surprising that the Hebrew letter He, which is the H sound, the sound of breath, is the main way in which Jews today write the name of God. Just that simple letter He, the sound of breath. They won't pronounce his full name. Now, one final implication of this magnificent name is that Jesus takes on this name. At his trial, Jesus was accused of blasphemy. He was accused of claiming to be God. When was that? He never said, I am God. But he did say, I am the Good Shepherd. And there are six others. Can you you tell me what they are, all the I am statements? I am the Good Shepherd, I am... Light of the world, bread of life, the vine, the resurrection and the life, the way, the truth and the life. It's a gate, gate, yes, gate or door. Yes, they're they're the ones. And uh, in the Old Testament, God started doing this. He would um, reveal himself by Yahweh something. Yeah? And this was, I am. Yahweh Jireh, I am your provided. Yahweh Shalom, I am your peace. And for Jesus, the climax of these I am statements was in answer to the criticism of the Jewish leaders. Uh, And Jesus says, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and he was glad And the Jewish authorities said to him, but you're not even 50, how can you say that you know Abraham? And Jesus' reply was, I tell you the truth, that before Abraham was, I am. I am the being. This is the God that we know today. 
And as we look forward to this coming year, take hold of this name because this is the God who goes before us. This is the God who stands with us. This is the God who stands with you in your trials this year. The one who stands with you in your difficulties. The one who sees what's going on in your life. The one who hears your cry for help. This is the God who's promised to be with you. This is the God who is just there. And he's there for you. And he's there for me. Amen. Shall we pray together? Father, we thank you for revealing such a name to us, a name which invites an intimate relationship, a name that always has different promises attached to it. We thank you, Lord, that you are there for us. Whatever we go through in life, individually or as a church, we thank you that you are there that you are a being. You're not made of stone or wood. You're not just the head of a system, but you're personal. And we thank you that we can know you like that. Lord, we pray as we uh, go through this study and as we enter this year, that you will show us in new ways how you want to be with us in whatever we go through. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.